With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, nurses. This is Wacko from Animaniacs, and you're listening to The Riley and Kimmy Show. You know why? Because you're smart. See you later. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to this Saturday cartoon alternative edition of The Riley and Kimmy Show. If you're listening the day it is uploaded, it is September 30th. Episode number 1,384. Right next to me is... Janet! I got one name! Janet! Hello, everybody! Hello, everybody! 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 everybody. <laughs> Hi! Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. I am the villain of the story. That's so true. And the hero is right next to me. That's Kimmy. That is so true, and that's exactly what I like. Hello, Kimmy. How is Saturday treating you? Hey there. Pretty good. Well, that's good. I know you're happy. It is a Saturday. Yes, it is a Saturday, and you found the Riley and Kimmy Show, a place that offers pop culture escapism with every single episode. Something brand new from the world of nerdum. And it is a big world of nerdum. Not just one thing, but many things. That's what the Riley and Kimmy Show is about. Variety when it comes to pop culture. Tell your friends you found this, this show that's unique and talks about all kinds of things, especially focusing on the world of nostalgia and retro. We try to bring back fond memories, happy memories, and of course make new ones with each episode. You can find archived episodes of the Riley and Kimmy Show on our website. Also, you can find celebrity interviews, videos, we're updating those often, and uh, photos and nerd stories and links to nerd pop culture kind of things. And also a contact event page. If you have an upcoming event in Florida that you would like the Riley and Kimmy Show to be part of and to promote, just uh, hook up with us. That's right on that contact event page. You can find all of these things, our social media links, all of it on our website. And what is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com RileyandKimmy.com The Riley and Kimmy Show. Shall we play a game? That's a big question on a Saturday. Does Kimmy want to play nerd and pop culture trivia? Does she want to go down to the thrilling days of yesteryear and maybe uh, share some pleasant memories with some questions and answers? Uh, what's your answer, Kimmy? Yes, please. 
The timeline has been adjusted, meaning it's not running in chronological or linear order. Feel free to shout out answers. Help, give me out. We believe in, well, she does. She believes in the time travel answers. I'm not too sure about that. So yell at whatever listening device you have the Riley and Kimmy show playing on right now. It could be anything because we are mobile. We are global. You can take us anywhere on planet Earth. Take us to work. Try it out. And, uh, you know, maybe... uh, uh, take us to bed. You can do that, too. Shh, nobody will tell. I, I promise that. Give me the very first question we have for you is in the world of TV, kind of sleazy TV. This person's tabloid talk show kicked off on this date in history. Tell me what year this person, well, his show, when did it appear? What year? We will give you a plus or minus of five years. Hi, I'm Jerry Springer, and I am really excited about today's show. I won't want to miss this one. Yes, and by the way, it originally started out as more political and serious talk. Then they decided they had to spice it up to get some ratings. Tell me what year it came on the air, Kimmy. Mm. Within five years. Um, 1995. You get it within five years, but it was on a little earlier than that. 1991 is when the show came on. Now, be honest here. Have you ever watched an episode of the Jerry Springer show? Not on purpose. So you've accidentally or went to somebody's house and they had it on? Mm-hmm. Something but like that. You've never appeared on the Jerry Springer oh, show? Oh, no. No, no, you, no, no. Would, I don't know if you... Would you, would you tell me that if you've been on the Jerry Springer uh, show? Uh, Have <laughs> you? Do you know anybody that's been on the Jerry Springer no. show? No. Yeah, me either. I, I know somebody that's been on a, another talk show before like that. It, it, not quite as bad as that one, but pretty close. And they actually admitted they were on it. Mm. And they had video of it. I never saw the video, but and I didn't care to see the person I knew on that kind of TV show. The year, Kimmy, is what we're looking for. Give me the year this cartoon premieres. It's the first animated sitcom created by Hanna-Barbera. Premieres on ABC on this date. Identify it. Here's an audio clue. And then give us the year that it made its premiere within two years. Here's your clue. But if he'd come through that door every night, calm, urbane, with a smile on his lips. Oh, hello. I see you finally got home. <laughs> Did you have a tough day, dear? Yes. And it was so hot. I bet it was terrible on the job. <laughs> and the traffic must have been awful. <laughs> a diamond in the rough. And they don't come any rougher. What a day. What a day. That's a little uh, cartoon flashback on the Saturday Cartoon Alternative Day. Kimmy, tell me the name of the cartoon. The Flintstones. What year, Kimmy, did the Flintstones make their premiere? And get this, it, it was not a Saturday cartoon thing. It was primetime TV. ABC Network aired them for the very first time on this date. What year within two years? Um, 67. 1960 is when the Flintstones made their debut. It was on this date, Kimmy. Dr. William Morton performed a painless tooth extraction. This was the first time this happened known 
They may have used a rock on somebody's head before to do, you know, the, the surgeries. But he used something called ether. Within 25 years, when did this happen for the very first time? 1850. You, wow, I didn't know you were a dental uh, expert here. Dental, mm. dental historian. It was 1846 when that happened Ooh. by Dr. William Morton. Some radio highlights now. Radio. What is it? Where did it come from? Let's ask ourselves, what is radio's importance to us all? How important is it? Does it affect our lives? It did, especially, well, it still does, but it used to really affect people's lives, especially during the golden age of radio. On this date in history, 1930, Death Valley Days was heard for the first time on NBC. On our website right now, we have three episodes of this classic, this old-time radio show. We have them back-to-back uninterrupted, starting off with one titled Sam Bass. That is Death Valley Days. These are westerns. I don't know if you've ever heard them or any of that before, Kimmy. I I don't Mm, know. No. And staying in the world of golden age of radio, 1935, The Adventures of Dick Tracy debuted on Mutual Radio Network. And on our website right now, we have six episodes of Dick Tracy back-to-back, starting with the episode titled, Dick Shot in the Leg. And then 1939, Captain Midnight was heard for the first time on the Mutual Radio Network. Moving over to television and the 50s. It was on this date in 1951, this person's TV show debuted on NBC TV. Now, he was from the golden age of radio. Matter of fact, a little bit even before that. Vaudeville is where his starts were. And he also did film. And he was a big hit on television. Kimmy, identify who the comedian is. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I brought these out in case some of you folks at home haven't seen the Emmy. And I would like to thank the ladies and gentlemen of the press and also the ladies and gentlemen of the Academy for voting our show twice. One is they liked our show, and the other is they liked me as a comedian. <laughs> well, you've seen them now, so... No, I, I, it was really quite a thrill to, to get something like that, you know. And over at the Academy, it's a funny thing. As I walked in, there were a lot of people outside, and uh, someone yelled, and they all turned around and looked at me. <laughs> Gee, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I was sorry I yelled. <laughs> The autograph collectors, they had a cute idea. For the stars, they would let them sign full sheets of paper, and for the bit players, a half a sheet of paper. (laughs) You ever try to autograph a spitball? (laughs) Little, uh, little, uh, Richard this week, he came in, they want pet mice. I said, what do you want with mice? They said, they don't brush their teeth, they don't take a bath or anything. He says, hey, don't tell one of them to move over, and he got a new buddy. (laughs) They went over to uh, Gene Fowler's house the other day, and they raided his uh, cuckoo clock. This is the truth. He took a little cuckoo out of the clock, so I said, why did you do that? He said, well, I didn't mean no harm by it, you know. He said, I saw the cuckoo in there, and I thought maybe I could get some cuckoo eggs and raise my own clock. An influence on many performers over the course of time, a master in the world of pantomime. He actually flourished on television. He did better on TV because of his visual skills. Can you tell me who that was? Red Skelton. Live in full color. From Hollywood, the Red Skelton Show, brought to you by Pet Milk Company, makers of Double Ridge Pet Evaporated Milk. Pet Instant Non-Fat Dry Milk. And Pet Ritz Frozen Pie. 
Red Skelton Show with David Rose and his orchestra and Red's guest stars, Reed Hadley, Amanda Blake, and Penny Baker. Now, here he is, the star of our show, Red Skelton. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I uh, still have a little cold. I took a shower last night. And I must have got my feet wet. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, tonight our show has to do with school. And um, I got to say one thing. I loved school when I was a kid. I used to walk four miles to school every day, but I never learned anything. School was five miles away. <laughs> hooky quite a bit. One day, a tune officer walks up. He says, haven't you been missing school? I says, not a bit. <laughs> Red Skelton Show made its premiere in 1951. That is on television on NBC TV. It was on this date, 1960. This TV show aired its last show. They did over, well, I think it was like 2,000-some shows, Kimmy. It was <clears> their <throat> last TV show, 1960. One of its cast members did something very special at the end of the show. See if you can identify the TV show. Here is your clue. Are you ready? I, I know you've never actually seen an episode of it, but you know it. It is iconic. It is from the golden age of television. And today, kids, we're going to have a full one-hour show. And we would like to dedicate this to all of you boys and girls who have watched our shows so faithfully throughout these many, many years. But kids, we're going to have lots of fun and lots of laughs. And I... What is it, Clarabelle? Oh, and Clarabelle has got a big surprise for all you children. Right, kid? Big. Biggest? The world's biggest surprise. Well, great. Well, what is it, Clarabelle? Kids, watch. Oh. Uh, Clarabelle says that if you kids want to know what the surprise is, you just keep watching the show. Kimmy, can you identify that iconic television show? Bozo the Clown? No, it is not Bozo the Clown. It is a children's television show, though. Had a puppet. Howdy doody. Say, kids, what time is it? <laughs> The 2,343rd Howdy Doody Show, starring Howdy Doody and Buffalo Bob Smith. Yes, Howdy Doody. And Kimmy, a couple of questions about Howdy Doody. First of all, Clarabelle did something on that final episode. Any clue? Can you speak? Clarabelle, kids? Tell me, are you ready for the big surprise? You are. All right, Clarabelle, tell me now. What is the surprise? Please, quick, what is it? What? What? You mean you can talk? Oh, why, golly, I I don't believe it. You can talk. Well, Clarabelle, this is your last chance. Now, Clarabelle, if you can talk, prove it. Let's, let's hear you say something. That is the last thing that is said on the Howdy Doody show. Mm. That's it. Clarabelle says goodbye. They focus, they, do, and they actually zoom right in on him, 
And he says that, and he's actually crying when he says that, if you look at that. Aww. And actually, the master control, uh, nobody was uh, without a dry, well, nobody was with a dry eye. And I've seen the, and heard actually, the uh, recording from the master control room of that last 15 minutes of the show. Mm-hmm. And you can hear the master control operators and stuff talking about it, and they're very upset that the show was over. Mm-hmm. And you can actually, it, it, it's strange watching it. We have the entire, the last hour of the Howdy Doody show, the whole thing, including what I just talked about of Clarabelle, the whole thing available right now on our website. It's worth checking out, even if you've never seen the show. Uh, the show had actually, tra- it, it changed from when it began 13 years before that. And this, it's, it's sad. I mean, when you watch it, you can tell him Buffalo Bob, I, I, he's, not, he's not happy mm-hmm. uh, doing this, but they actually go through with it. It's very sad on Mm. that now kimmy there was a certain tv show that was a retro based tv show of the 1970s that focused on the 50s where one of the characters made it a mission to get a picture of clarabelle the clown unclowned can you tell me the name of that tv show It was a whole episode the Mary Tyler Moore show no it was happy days happy days richie got the photo and then Buffalo Bob talks to him, the real Buffalo Bob, and he decides to tear the photo up and destroy the negative. Mm-mm. Yes, that's, uh, you know, some really cool history with that. I think you're thinking of uh, Chuckles the Clown from the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. He would eventually die on the show. I don't think you ever saw Chuckles. There was always reference to Chuckles, but Chuckles would die mm. on the show. I don't mean to be a downer there. Without Clarabelle, though... We wouldn't have Pennywise. Stephen King has hmm. mentioned that his influence on the clown from It is Bozo and Clarabelle. Oh. That's what caused him to create Pennywise in It. The year is 1968. This song is released, Kimmy. Tell me the name of the song first and then who recorded it. It became a number one hit for the year. Tell me the name of that song. Love Child. Love Child. Never meant to be. Love Child. Born in poverty. Love Child. Never meant to be. Love Child. So take a look at me. Supreme's Love Child. If you actually listen to the lyrics, I think it's kind of risque for the time period. I'm actually surprised it made it to, because, you know, they were censoring everything you mm-hmm. know, back then. But it is it is a powerful song. I actually think maybe one of their best. I mean, it's hard to say one over the other, but it is powerful. That's from 1968. Number one hit, Love Child by the Supremes. The year is 1984. This comic strip comes back. It hadn't been printed in nearly 20 months, Kimmy. Tell me the name of the comic strip. Its creator and artist and writer, Gary Trudeau, returns. Tell me the name of the comic strip. Doonesbury? You got it right. Staying in 1984, this TV show premieres on CBS. Identify it and tell me who the star is. Here's your audio clue. Thank you. 
Now, Kimmy's indicating that she knows this one. I'm actually surprised. 1984, this TV show premieres on CBS TV. Tell me the name of the TV show, Kimmy. Murder, She Wrote. Oh, come on. How did you know that? Mm. Hey, you're correct. Tell me who the star of Murder, She Wrote was. Angela Lansbury. That's exactly right. Now, have you watched episodes of Murder, She Wrote? Are you a Murder, She Wrote groupie or something? Uh, no, not on purpose. Or do you accidentally get exposed to it from time to time? Mm-hmm. Is that that's, that's what did it. That's why you knew that theme. <music> Celebrity and notable birthdays. Deborah Kerr, born on this date, 1921, died 2007 at the age of 86. You might know her from the movie The King and I. This person, a writer, Kimmy, born 1924, died at the age of 59 in 1984. At least 20 films and television dramas have been produced of his novels, stories, and plays. Tell me who he is. Here's an audio bite where he talks about writing and helping writers. I have occasionally had people send me manuscripts that were uh, or give me manuscripts to read that were absolutely remarkable and uh, I'll give you a perfect example Um, uh, do you know uh, Harper Lee the girl who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird well she gave me this manuscript of To Kill a Mockingbird to read and I thought it was a, a marvelously fresh and good uh, novel, and I gave it to my own editor, uh, Random House, who didn't think anything of it at all, to my total amazement, and turned it down, and then, of course, she pl- uh, placed it soon afterwards, and it won the Pulitzer Prize, and became, you know, a very well-known, successful novel. Kimmy, can you tell me who that voice belonged to? Truman Capote. That's right. Now, there is one one of his pieces of work that is really standing out. It is it is the big one. Tell me the the murder story, the the non-fiction novels he liked to call it. What was it? What was that big, big hit of his from 1966? In Cold Blood. That's correct. Now, have you ever read In Cold Blood? I know you've seen the original film. I have not read it. Shame on you, Kimmy. Next person, actress. Tell me how old she is once you identify her. She's known for a TV show from 1974 to 1976. See if you can figure out what this uh, police-based, this detective-based TV show is, I'll give you that much of a clue. Here is your audio clue. Kimmy probably knows this one. I'm gambling she does. Kimmy, tell me the name of the TV show. Police Woman. Yes, and she starred on Police Woman from 1974 to 1978. Tell me who the actress is. She played Sergeant Pepper Anderson. She played Pepper, Kimmy. She also acted in quite a few other things, too. And if you keep in mind, well, I'm not, I'm not going to reveal that part yet. Uh, 
can you tell me who she is? Oh, I know it. You do know I it. I know it. Her initials, give me A-D. Angie Dickinson. That's right, Angie Dickinson. Having a birthday today, how old is she within five years? 80. She's 86. She was in her mid-40s when she took over the role of police woman mm. you must have watched police woman in re- mm. reruns or syndication mm-hmm. yes next individual singer kimmy having a birthday extremely popular 20th century singer he has sold well over 350 million records worldwide here's an example of his hits number one song for him tell me who this is chances are cause i wear a silly grin the moment you come into view chances are you think that i'm in love with you who is that kimmy Nat King Cole. That is Johnny Mathis having oh. a birthday today. How old is Johnny Mathis within five years today? 88. Johnny Mathis is 82. I see dead people. Notable deaths. Hollywood icon passed away on this date in history, Kimmy. He acted in just three movies. That's it. Matter of fact, the last movie, they had to have somebody come in and dub the lines because he was dead. He died in a car wreck at the age of, well, 24. The movie was Giant. Nick Adams, who was in that film, could actually do the impersonation of this actor, and he had to finish up some of the lines that just didn't record well. It wasn't because the actor hadn't did them well. There was audio process problems. It's things they do all the time in Hollywood. They dub in lines. He acted in the movie Giants. That's 1956. East of Eden in 1955 and became a household name from the movie Rebel Without a Cause in 1955. You're tearing me apart! You you say one thing, he says another, and everybody changes back again! Kimmy, can you tell me who that actor was? James Dean. That's right, 1955, passed away on this date in history. Have you ever seen that movie, Rebel Without a Cause? Um, I believe... Kimmy. I've seen... I don't know if I've seen it... Natalie Wood is in there. All the way through. Plays the love interest. Sal Mineo in there as well. The troubled teen. And Jim Backus, Mr. Yep, Thurston Howell III, is in there as this milquetoast, wimpy kind of dad. Very cool movie to see. And, oh, uh, Get Smart's boss. uh, Maxwell Smart's boss is in there as well. Mm. He plays a police detective. That is Rebel Without a Cause. And, by the way, East of Eden, Fantastic, and Giant 2. I love all of those films. Kimmy, you did a fantastic job on this Saturday Cartoon Alternative Day for trivia. Thank you. And we're going to honor something we talked about on trivia with a golden age of radio. Radio was new. Radio. Someone still loves you. And that's the Riley and Kimmy show. We mentioned that in 1939, Captain Midnight was heard for the first time on the Mutual Radio Network. We have five episodes back to back. As a reminder, 1935, The Adventures of Dick Tracy debuted. We have six of those episodes right now on our website. And 1930, Death Valley Days was heard for the first time on NBC. And on our website, we have three episodes. You can find those on our website. What's our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com. Right now, we kick off the Captain Midnight tribute. We have five episodes. We're kicking it off with Mysterious Cry for Help. 
Here's Captain Midnight on the Riley and Kimmy Show. to Captain Midnight. Last time you remember, during the parade of Fiesta, Chuck Ramsey and Patsy Donovan went outside the courtyard and into the plane formerly flown by Ivan Shark's chief pilot, Dardo. Chuck tuned the plane's radio to the wavelength used by Captain Midnight's Spartan, and he and Patsy distinctly heard a feeble voice calling for help. It is now early the following morning. Captain Midnight and Chuck are in the cockpit of the plane, and the famous pilot is trying to tune out the static on the radio. Listener Chuck exclaims, That's strange, Captain Midnight. We can't hear anything now except that static. Oh, I can't understand it, Chuck. Either this set isn't working right or those signals you heard aren't being transmitted anymore. It sure seems funny. The words came through distinctly last night. You mean very clear? Well, no, not terribly clear. But still clear enough for Patsy and me to get the meaning. Hmm. And then you said a voice faded out, huh? Yes, it did. And I tried everything I could think of to get it back again. But I couldn't do any good. Well, now, wait a minute. Did you change the tuning any? Yes, I moved the knob back and forth, but just a little bit. And I also tried the volume control. Mm, the first time, you undoubtedly had the set tuned perfectly. But some weather condition caused it to fade. Then, when you changed the setting, you couldn't get it back again. Oh, gosh, Captain Midnight, I guess you must be right. If I'd only waited and hadn't touched the dials, the voice would probably have come in again. Yeah, that's about the size of it. You know yourself how delicate a tuning you have to make on short wave station. Boy, I'll say. I remember back at Black Gulch. Well, you saw the radio set Steve had. Oh, it was a peach, too. Yes, I remember. I got stations from all over Europe one night. Well, what I was going to say was this. Yeah? Lots of times I used to get stations, and the tuning was so sensitive that if I moved the tuning dial about a hundredth of an inch, I'd lose the station altogether. Yes, and that's the situation we're up against right now. Well, I don't think there's any use fooling with this the way it is. Gosh, are you going to switch it off? Yes, right now. Gee, well, what are we going to do? Now, let's think back a little. You were tuned in to the wavelength we always use in the Spartan. Now, there are only a few people in the world who use that wavelength. And I don't think any of them are within 3,000 miles of us. Except Major Steele and Connolly. Right. And another thing. Major Steele and Connolly are the only ones using that wavelength who are probably in trouble. Then it must have been Major Steele or Connolly. No, no, not definitely now. There may be others using that same wavelength. But reviewing all the facts, I think the chances are 100 to 1 that it was Major Steele. Oh, gosh. They must need help badly. Well, hadn't we better take off and see if we can find them right away? Oh, no, wait a second, Chuck. We don't know where Major Steele headed. All he said was that he was going to try to get to some airport across the border. Gosh, you're right. We're not sure which direction he went. And another thing. We've started to check this plane over, but we haven't finished. And you know the kind of country we're going to have to fly over. I'll say. It's bad. Rugged mountain ranges and deserts. So you see, it'd be foolish to take off over a stretch of bad country without having any idea what course to follow and not being sure of the condition of our plane. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have been so hasty. But what can we do? I'll tell you that right now. Now, you know how radio reception is. Usually when the sun's out and it's nice and warm, there's a lot of static and signals don't come in very well. But at night, when it's clear and cool, they come in fine. And it was about 11 o'clock last night when Patsy and I heard that voice. Exactly. So we're going to wait until tonight and try again. In the meantime, we'll have an opportunity to get a couple of jobs done. We'll check this plane thoroughly and be sure it'll stand up under a long cross-country flight. And the next thing, we'll... Well... We'll find out the direction those signals are coming from. Gee, how are you going to do that? Doesn't Senor Pareto have a workshop around here? You bet he has. And it's well-equipped, too. Well, where is it? It's on the eastern side of the garden wall. Don't you remember that little building north of the courtyard? Oh, yes, yes, now I remember. Okay, now I'll go over there and see if we can make what I have in mind. Gee, what is it? I'll see if you can guess. But just as a clue, I'll say what I said before. Now, if possible, 
I'm going to make something that will tell us the direction from which those signals are coming. Good morning, me Capitan. Hi, sir. Oh, here's Pebbles. Good morning, Pebbles. Hi there, Pebbles. You old stick in the mud. Oh, I am not the stick in the mud. I am Don Pablo Ronaldo Garcia Carrasso Ponte Pebbles. Pebbles. Well, I'm going over to the shop. Why don't you stay here for a few minutes, Chuck, and talk to Pebbles? Then, if I don't come back very soon, you come on over. I'll need you to help me. Okay, Captain Midnight. Oh, and another thing. Uh, don't give Pebbles any flying lessons until we finish checking that plane. Right you are, Captain. Oh, mi amigo, that's the big disappointment to me. It's such a good morning. I think perhaps you'd take me up and give me the flying lesson. Gosh, Pebbles, I'd sure like to. But you heard what Captain Midnight said. Oh, but the plane, it fly before. It must fly now. Well, it'd probably fly all right. But Captain Midnight's figuring on a long cross-country trip. And we've got to know it's in good condition before we take off. Then you go with El Capitan? Well, I guess so, Pebbles. At least I hope so. Oh, that's the excellent thing, mi amigo. For if you go, then Pablo go too. You see, the plane, it holds four passengers. Gosh, Pebbles. You'll have to ask Captain Midnight about that. Oh, but you see, I am already the flying man. I will be the big help to you and El Capitan Midnight. But you don't even know how to fly yet, Pebbles. Oh, poof, what's that? I've already decided to take the aviation course... So that makes me the flying man. <laughs> you you will ask El Capitan Midnight to let me come along, Chuck? Well, I think you'd better ask Captain Midnight yourself. You go on the trip to find this Major Steele and Connolly, Norsford, Don? That's right. We're going to see if we can't find them. Oh, Patsy tells me about them. She thinks they've had the crash. Yes, and that's what Captain Midnight thinks. You see, their landing gear was damaged, so they couldn't let it down. But they were already in the air. So Major Steele said he was going to fly to some airport across the border, repair the plane, and bring help back to us. But, mi amigo, how does Major Steele make the landing when the gear cannot be lowered? Well, a good pilot can do that, Pebbles. You see, the tires of the wheel stick down below the body a little bit, even when the gear is in the retracted position. You just have to be careful to keep the plane absolutely level. Well, otherwise, one wing will dig into the ground. Oh, oh, I see, mi amigo. <laughs> well, it's not so difficult after I have the flying course... Then I will be able to do that, too. Of course you will, Pebbles. I think you're going to take the flying like a duck to water. Oh, you bet the sweet neck, Chuck. I will be much better in the air than the duck is in water. Oh, that a boy, Pebbles. Captain Midnight says there's one thing that's most important in flying. You've got to have a lot of confidence. You've got to believe in yourself. Oh, say, I am so excited, me amigo. I can hardly wait to get to the Spartan Flying School. Oh, then it's decided you're going there. Oh, see, my uncle Don Juan, he says he wishes me to go to the best flying school in the world. And he says the school El Capitan Midnight says must be the best one. Oh, gee, Pebbles, I'm sure glad. Well, you'll have a swell time there. And before you know it, you'll have your license. Oh, what kind of a course are you going to take? Well, then I do not know, me amigo. Well... Is it not one course to learn to fly? Oh, gosh, no. They have many courses. You can take a short one, which will give you a private pilot's license. Then you can take the longest and best one, which will give you your transport license. Oh, but there is only the one course I wish to take. And which one's that, Pebbles? I wish to take the course which will make me the Lindbergh. <laughs> but gosh, Pebbles, they don't have any course like that. Whether or not you become another Lindbergh depends on you. Oh, then, me, Migo, it's very simple. If it's up to me, then I have already decided... I will be the Lindbergh of Mexico. Oh, that's the stuff, Pebbles. If you work hard enough, maybe you will be another Charles Lindbergh. Well, I guess I'd better go over to the shop now. Captain Midnight said if he didn't come back very soon that I was to go over and meet him. Well, let him shake the dogs then. I will go with you. Hours have passed. It is now almost 11 o'clock at night. Captain Midnight, Chuck Ramsey, and Pablo are gathered together about an apparatus which Captain Midnight has made and which has been placed on a table outside the workshop. 
Let's listen as Chuck says. Gosh, Captain Midnight, I should have guessed it right away. Why, it's the same kind of an outfit you use to triangulate a position for a lost ship. Oh, but me amigo, I do not understand. Well, I'll explain it to you, Pebbles. This apparatus is nothing more than a movable antenna on a circular base. Now, uh, on the bottom of the base here, I marked the points of the compass. I've taken a shortwave radio set, which your uncle had here, and I've constructed this base and antenna to go with it. But me, Captain, I do not see how it works. Well, you'll see in a minute, Pebbles. Now, uh, we all set there, Chuck? I think we are, Captain Midnight. The set is connected to the battery, and the battery's just been charged, so we have plenty of juice. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, now. I'm going to switch it on. See what we can get. Oh, gosh, I can't hear a thing but static. Are you sure it's tuned to the Spartan's wavelength? Well, I'm as sure as I can be, Chuck, with this dial. Of course, it might be a little bit off. How about increasing the volume a little, then shifting back and forth close to the Spartan's wavelength? Okay. Uh, Now, wait. Turn up the volume a little bit there. Right. Easy. Oh, that's enough. Okay. But, me, Captain, why do we not hear the signal? We'll get some pebbles. That is, if there are any. Of course, something may have happened to Major Steele and Conley. And also, maybe the battery in the plane has gone dead. Yes, I know it, Chuck. Lots of things may have happened. But we're going to keep trying just the same. There, now. I believe I have it tuned as well as I possibly can get it. Next thing is to orient the antenna now. But, gosh, if we don't get any signals, that won't be of much help, really. Oh, Chuck, not very much. Static can come from any direction. But we do know this much, that Major Steele and Conley are somewhere north of us. They might be a little bit northeast or a little bit northwest, but the general direction is north. Well, maybe we do not get the signals at all. Maybe. Listen, the static has decreased. Mm -hmm. We must be getting close to a station. Listen, Chuck, you work the tuning now while I handle this antenna. Maybe we can get something that way. Listen, what's that? Quiet, Pebbles, quiet. Can can you hear me? We've got something. You hear that voice? Can't we bring it in sharper? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? What voice is this which Captain Midnight and Chuck have succeeded in bringing in on the shortwave radio set? Is it actually the voice of Major Steele? What will Captain Midnight do? Someone is in dire distress. But how can Captain Midnight and Chuck go to his assistance when they can get no clue whatever as to the location of the voice? If they do succeed, will it be too late? Presents Captain Midnight. Captain Midnight, brought to you three times each week by the Skelly Oil Company, Skelly Choppers and Dealers. And now to Captain Midnight. The famous pilot constructed a revolving antenna with a circular base on which are marked the points of the compass in the hope of discovering which direction the mysterious radio signals are coming from. As our adventure opens today, the scene is late at night outside the workshop of Senor Paredes' Hacienda. Captain Midnight, Chuck, and Pablo are gathered around the crude apparatus which Captain Midnight and Chuck have made. The sound of a voice speaking indistinctly is heard coming from the radio. Listen. What can we do, me, Capitan? There's only one thing we can do, Pebbles. 
We've got to get this radio tuned sharper. Now then, Chuck, here's what you do. I'll see if I can tune it in clear, and if I do, you turn the volume up while I rotate the antenna. Right you are, Captain right, Midnight. Uh, I just can't seem to get it on the nose. Well, the whole trouble is it requires a too sensitive setting. Yeah. Oh, oh, listen to that. It's much better now. Now oh, we're getting somewhere. Quiet, now quiet. I'll see if I can improve on that. No, no, no. no that won't do. I should have left it where it was. Continue. Oh, he is continuing, Pebbles, but we can't hear him. It must be Major Steele or Bud Conley. No one else would be using that wavelength. Well, I'm going to give this thing a rest. I'm going to cut the switch. Now, I want to look at this antenna, and we'll make some calculations. I saw you moving the antenna. Did you get the position where the signals came in loudest? Yes, as well as I could. Didn't have much time, though. Oh, see, the time was very short. The voice came in, and then it goes. What kind of a reading did you get? Here it is. Here, take a look at it. Jiminy crickets. It's almost straight north. No, no, wait, Chuck. No, it's a little bit east of north. Now, look. I have the base marked in units of ten. You see? It's almost at ten degrees. No, not exactly. I'd say that twelve would hit it closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just about it. All right, we call it twelve. Oh, but me, amigos, I do not understand. Well, it's like this, Pebbles. I turned this antenna until those signals came in loudest. Then I left it that way. Upon reading the degrees at the base... We find out the exact direction from which those signals were coming. Oh, that's the wonderful thing. Now you know the direction in which to fly. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing, Pebbles. Uh, it may not be exact, but it's as close as we can get with what we have to work with. Now, uh, where's that map we were looking at? Oh, oh he, here's the map. Oh, fine. Now, right now, spread it out on this table. There. Now then, let's see what kind of a direction 12 degrees would be. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, uh, there's a board with a straight edge over there, Pebbles. Hand it to me, will you, please? Well, see me, Captain. Ah, that's it, thanks. Now then, here we are at Senor Paredes Hacienda. Now, we draw a line straight north. But, but, but how do you find the 12 degrees, me Capitan? Well, I'll show you that, Pebbles. Now, here's a circle I made with a piece of cardboard. You see, now it's marked off in degrees, starting with zero and going to 360. This is what we call a protractor. It's used to lay off courses on the map. <laughs> so you see, Pebbles, your aviation course is beginning right now. Now then, you see, we put the protractor on the map with the center at the hacienda. The zero point, or true north, is turned so it coincides exactly with the true north line on the map. Now then, here. I put a dot with my pencil at 12 degrees, right there. Shall I take off the protractor? Yes, Chuck, go ahead. There. Now, Pebbles, I take the straight edge, I draw a line from the hacienda to the dot which I made with my pencil. Now... That will be the direction from which the signals came in loudest, and will be the course which we will have to follow. Well, gee, when will we start? Well, at daybreak, and let's pray for good visibility, because that's something we've got to have in order to do any good. Oh, oh please, me, Capitan, I should like very much to go with you. Oh, listen, someone's coming. Oh, see, it's Don Juan and Senorita Patsy. Ah, me, Capitan, you have had the success? Well, Senor Pereira, yes and no. We heard a voice, all right, but we're not absolutely sure it was Major Steele or Bud Conley. But did you hear someone? Was it on the Spartans' wavelength? You bet it was, Patsy. Right on the nose. See, and we hear the voice call for help, Patsy. And he tells about the injured man. An injured man? Gosh, Captain Midnight, it must be Major Steele or Bud Conley. You have made a decision, the Capitan? You take off in the airplane? Yes, Senor Pareto. I'm taking off at daybreak. Chuck and I have checked that ship left here by Gardo. Seems to be in good condition. See, I have asked El Capitan Midnight to let me go along. No, Pablo, you should not do that. If El Capitan Midnight wishes you to go with him, he will ask you. Oh, that's all right, Senor Pareto. Pablo is eager to do some flying, and I don't blame him. Yeah, but the more I think of it, the more certain I am that we'll 
have to leave him behind. Oh, oh, it's the big disappointment, El Capitan. No, Pablo, you must not say that. You should have not asked him in the first place. Oh, now you'll have plenty of chance to do some flying later on, Pebbles. And here's the situation. The plane will only hold four people. And we'll have to take some supplies with us, too. Gosh, if somebody's hurt, we've got to take along a first aid kit. You bet we have. And we've got to be prepared to camp out if necessary. But who are going, Captain Midnight? I'll answer that, Pansy, by outlining what we need. Now, we're going to fly a course that at best is none too accurate. We'll have to fly high. And I need two persons, one on each side, to watch over the side of the ship. Well, they should be persons who have had a good deal of experience in picking out ground objects from the air. Well, very definitely, that means you and Chuck. Gee, that's well. We'll do the best we can. If Major Steele and Bud Conley have at a forced landing along this course, we've got to locate the plane the first time over. We won't have any time to waste making circles and flying back and forth. Si, senor, es verdad. It is the truth. And besides, we won't have any extra gas. Well, but, but me, Capitan, that makes three people. There's still room for one more. <laughs> yes, I know it, Pebbles. And I know how anxious you are to go, but that other place must be taken by someone who's an experienced nurse. That means Patsy's mother. Ma's a wonderful nurse. And another thing, Ma knows how to set broken bones and fix up injuries. You bet. Well, that makes up the crew. But, me Capitan, you will return again? Well, certainly, senor. I don't know exactly when, but we'll come back sometime. But gosh, Captain Midnight, what about Pinky Drake and Slim Pool? They've got to have some way to get home. Well, I'll either fly back or send Chuck for Pinky and Slim and uh, Pebbles here at the same time. Oh, then you will take me to the Spartan Flying School? Yes, Pebbles. Either Chuck or I will see that you get there. Oh, whoopee! <laughs> it's the cat's mustache. <laughs> well, I guess we'd better break up now. We've got a lot of packing to do and we've got to get some sleep. Just the one minute, El Capitan. Huh? I have the good news for you. Yes, Senor Pereira, what is it? I have delivered the prisoners to the authorities. Some of them will be in the jail for the long time. Well, gee, Senor Pereira, what happened to that fellow named Rossman? They do not have the record on the man Rossman, so they turned him loose. No, that's swell. He told us everything he knew, and he promised he'd go straight. Yes, and I hope he keeps that promise, Chuck. Well, come on, everyone. Let's get together the things we'll need for the flight tomorrow. And come on, Patsy. Let's get packed right away. Captain Midnight and his friends packed the plane and got a few hours sleep. Then, at daybreak, they took off from Senor Pareda's hacienda, and as we find them now, they're flying at 5,000 feet. Captain Midnight is at the controls with Chuck in the other forward seat, while Patsy and Ma Donovan are in the rear. Let's listen as Patsy explains. Gee, Captain Midnight, we've flown for over three hours and haven't seen a thing that looks like a wrecked plane. Yes, I know, Patsy. We're still a long way from the border, so don't become careless. If we should fly over the ship without seeing it, we'd be out of luck. We can't let that happen. If we did, we never would find Major Steele and Conway. Oh, sure, and me eyes are getting tired from watching the ground below. After you look a while, it becomes just a blur. My eyes get to feeling that way, too. And I have to make myself pick out different objects beneath it. Well, I don't look at everything. I just try to figure out which would be the most logical spots for a ship to try and land in. That's the system, Chuck. That's what we all can do. But if Major Steele's motor stopped... Well, he wouldn't have much choice. Well, you see, Mrs. Donovan, it's like this. Now, it was daylight when Major Steele and Conley headed for the border. Now, I warned them about the gasoline in that ship. That being the case, Major Steele would certainly fly high enough so that if the engine quit, he would have the choice of places in which to make a forced landing. So, as we fly along, I just ask myself what spots I would make for if this engine should quit. Why, sure. If we look at every possible landing field, we can't possibly miss them. Oh, yes, we can, too. Don't forget, we're flying this course, but it may not be absolutely correct. They might have been forced down farther out on either side of us. Uh, true enough. All we can do is to keep going on this course and hope that we're close enough to see them. What will we do if we don't see them? Well, 
and keep going, Patsy, across the border and land at the first American airport we come to. Then I'll organize a search party and we'll come back and comb this country thoroughly. You mean with planes? Yes. I'll get so many ships in the air that one of the pilots is bound to see them. And you can set up radio listening posts to try to get those signals again. Yes, Patsy, we can do that too. And by having several different posts like that, we can tell their position within five or ten miles. Sure, you can get their position by triangulation. Whereas now, all we know is that they're somewhere along a straight line. Well, sure, and why don't you turn on the radio again? Maybe we can hear them now. Well, I've tried several times, but we haven't had any luck. However, Quick, Captain I can... Midnight, look down on the left. I think I see something. Where, Patsy, where? Oh, I see it. But, but it looks like an airplane wing. Yes, it does. And we're going down to look. Well, what have Patsy Donovan's keen eyes picked out? And is it, as Chuck Ramsey has exclaimed, the wing of an airplane? Has Captain Midnight's crude apparatus led them to Major Steele and Bud Conley? Listen Wednesday and find out. Tune in to Captain Midnight. times each week by the Skelly Oil Company, Skelly Jobbers and Dealer. And now to Captain Midnight. The voice heard indistinctly over the radio asking for help is believed to be that of Major Steele or Bud Conley. In an effort to find them, Captain Midnight, Chuck Ramsey, Ma and Patsy Donovan have taken off in the blue-winged plane formerly flown by Ivan Shark's chief pilot, Gardo. After flying for three hours without any success, Patsy calls out suddenly that she sees something below, and then Chuck exclaims that it looks like an airplane wing. Listen as Patsy says. Gosh, Captain Midnight, it's an airplane wing, all right, but it's all torn to pieces. There's no question about it. It's a broken wing of a plane. But whether it's from the Spartan or not, I can't tell. Sure, and I think I see some numbers on it. What? What's that, Mrs. Donovan? Where do you see numbers? On that thing hanging in the tree. I see what she means. It's a different piece. Not what we were looking at before. Oh, sure, I see it, too. It must be part of the other wing. And there are numbers on it, all right. Those will be the plane's identification numbers. We should be able to tell right away whether it's the Spartan or not. Oh, quick, Captain, look. I can see only three numbers. The rest must have been torn off. Where are they, Chuck? Oh, wait, wait. I see them. And now, wait a minute. I'll bank the ship a little bit. Oh, yes, now I can see better. Ah, the first numeral is seven. The next one is two. And the one following that is three. It must be the Spartan. Those were the last three numerals of our identification number. There can't be any doubt about it. And that's what's left of it. Oh, but if you heard Major Steele's voice, he must still be alive. Well, now watch it now. Uh-oh, we're down plenty low. I'm going to circle around, see if there are any signs of life. Now watch it. I can't understand why Major Steele picked this place. He didn't pick it, Chuck. Something must have happened. Look, Captain Midnight, look. I see something down between the trees. So do I. Hey, it's a fuselage. That's what it is. You're right, Chuck. 
The body of the plane is down between those trees. Now I can see the nose. And even the propeller. Yeah, I saw it, too. Now I've lost it. Oh, the poor fellas. I guess they can't be alive. Gosh, Captain Midnight, how are we going to land and find out? I don't know yet, Patsy. I'm beginning to wonder. I think I know what happened, Captain Midnight. Major Steele was trying to get in that open place just beyond and didn't quite make it. You're right, Chuck. I've been looking at that spot myself. I think Major Steele was trying to get in there and he just couldn't stretch his glide far enough. Gee, you suppose we can land there? I don't know. We'll have to look it over first. Oh, sure, and I think I saw something. A man. What? Where was he, Ma? Down between the branches of those trees. Hold it now, hold it. I'm going closer. There is someone down there. What? Oh, he's right in the cabin door. He's trying to get out. He's looking up at it. I can see him so clearly. Watch it, everyone. I've got to pull up. Oh, what can we do, Captain Midnight? That was Major Steele. I'm sure of it. He must be injured. And there's no telling what's happened to Bud Conley. We've got to get first aid to them right away. But we can't take any chances of cracking up ourselves. What about this open place? Don't you think we can get down there? No, oh, it's pretty small. But I think you can do it, Captain Midnight. Yes, I know I can do it, Chuck, but... I'm thinking about getting out again. But wait, I figured out a plan. We're going down for a landing, all right now? Buckle your belts, everyone. There. Mine's buckled. So are mine and mine. Which way are you going to land? It all depends on the direction of the wind. Well, the wind was from the south when we started. Sure. We had a tailwind then. Wait a minute. Still blowing from the south, see? See the leaves in those trees? They're turned backwards. Oh, that makes it swell. You can go downwind, then side slip and land against the wind. And you'll also be going uphill. That's the idea, all right, Chuck. All right. I'm throttling the engine now. Boy, are we losing altitude fast now. Be sure your belts are buckled. That ground looks very rough. I'm pulling mine up tighter. you better do the same, Ma. Oh, sure, and mine's so tight now I can hardly breathe. Oh, we're turning back into the wind. Oh, gosh. Look at Captain Midnight side slip. Oh, look out, Captain Midnight. The wings are going right into the ground. Oh, no, no, they aren't. You wait and see. Look at that wind come up, Ma. And we've turned into the wind. Oh, we're down below the treetops now. Oh, look out. We're going to hit those trees. No, we won't, Ma. Look. See? Captain Midnight's changing direction. The plane's straightened out. Watch it now. Watch it. We're going to hit. That was sure swell. You might think we were landing on a big airport. Oh, praise the saints. That ground sure feels good again. All right. I'm going to let the ship coast as far as possible because the south end of the field is nearest to Major Steele and the spot. Oh, you're not even going to be able to get there without using your engine. Yes, yes. I'll have to give her a burst or two, all right? A little bit more and we'll be there. Now, the first aid kit is in the baggage compartment behind the rear seat. I know where it is. I'll get it out. That's the stuff, Patsy. We'll have it ready as soon as you bring the ship to a stop. Shall we bother to turn the plane around? No, no, we won't do that. We haven't got time now. Uh, all right, here we are. I'll cut the switch. I've got the first aid kit. All right, come on now. Let's pile out. Looks like rough going, so we'll have to help Mrs. Donovan. Okay, I'll get the door. Come on, let's hurry. Come on. We're almost there. I see the nose of the ship. Look, Major Steele seems terribly weak. He can hardly walk. Oh, Major Steele! Major Steele! I'd hardly know him. Look at the beard on his face. Captain Midnight. Jack. Barry. Barry, what in the world has happened to you? Uh, Conway. He, he's inside. Help him first. Oh, what's the matter with him, Barry? Is he hurt bad? He didn't get hurt. Plain. He's sick. Some kind of a fever. Oh, have you got any water, Major Steele? Yes. Donovan, in a thermos jug inside the cabin door. Oh, quick, quick, Patsy. Give me that first aid kit. Go in. Go in. Help him quick. Are you all right, Barry? Yes, I'm all right. Just uh, a little bit weak. Go in with Conley. He's in the cabin. All right. We'll be out in a minute. 
Come on, Mr. Donovan. You and I will go in first. Is there anything Patsy and I can do? Yes, Chuck. Go back to the ship and bring back that small alcohol stove. Open a can of bouillon and fix some broth for Major Steele. Well, that'll be fine. But hurry. Hurry to Conway. Patsy and I'll be back in a jiffy. All right, Mrs. Donovan. Let me help you into the cabin. Yeah, that's it. There now, I'm all right. Oh, thanks alive. There's Conley on the floor, lying on some blankets. Yes. He's got a high fever, I can see that. Oh, there's some quinine tablets in the first aid kit. We've got to get a couple down his throat. Oh, yes. There's the thermos jug that Barry spoke of. Oh, here. Here's the bottle of quinine tablets. Now, give me the cup and the thermos jug. Oh, wait a minute. All right. Here you are. You won't be able to get him to swallow these tablets the way they are. We'd have to grind them into powder. Oh, I dropped them in this cup. Here's a little stick. I'll grind them into powder with that. There. There you are. It won't take a second to grind them up. Oh, sure, they're crumbling up good. Now, there, there, that's enough. Now pour some water into the cup. There, there, that should be enough. Now hold him up if you can, and I'll try to get this down his throat. Right. Oh, oh, oh. Come on now, bud. Come on, old boy. We're trying to help you now. We're going to bring you out of this, bud. Oh, sure, he won't open his mouth. Right. I'll see if I can force it open. Come on, bud. Oh, there, there, now you've got it open. There, bud, there. Now you're all right. Now lean back in these blankets. Sure, he got it down all right, and it'll do him a lot of good. How high a fever do you think he's got? Oh, about 104, I guess. But I'll take it in a couple of minutes to be sure. What do you think we'd better do with him, Mrs. Donovan? Oh, I don't think it's safe to move him. That is, unless you can fly him out of here in the plane. I don't know about that. When I landed here, I figured if necessary, I'd have Chuck fly the ship out empty and go for help. Now, with Conley this sick, I may have to change my plans. Oh, sure, and what you ought to do is to get Conley to a hospital right away. And Major Steele, too, for that matter. I don't think we can take both of them out at the same time. He may not be able to take off even one. I'll have to go and take a look at that field first. Well, in the meantime, we've got to break up this fever if we can. If it lasts much longer, well... Yes. You stay here, Mrs. Donovan, while I go out and see Major Steele. Between us, we'll decide what's best to do. All right, Captain. I'll be giving Connie some more quinine in a little while. Good. How's Connie, Captain? He's in pretty bad shape, Perry. Yes, he's got some kind of a fever. Just what kind, I don't know. How long has he been sick? Well, about five days. But the fever's been getting worse every day. Well, what happened to the first aid kit? I always used to keep one in the Spartan. We threw it overboard. Threw it overboard? Yes, we were having engine trouble. We were getting lower and lower. Finally, just clipping the treetops. We kept throwing out things to stay in the air. Those blankets Conley is lying on were all we had left. Yes, I guess something like that must have happened. Otherwise, you never would have landed here. I was trying to get to that open place straight ahead. The place where you landed. But we just couldn't make it. You're lucky to be alive, judging by what I see. Both wings were torn out and settled into the tree. Luckily, the engine wasn't hurt. We had some gas left. Not very good, though. That's what let us down. Yes, I was afraid of that gas. Remember, I told you about it. We thought we could get to the border, but she kept overheating and finally cut out. Twice a day, I've been running the engine for about five minutes and calling for help over the radio. But we're down here so low, and engines kept missing. I didn't know whether the signals got out. Yes, they got out all right. That's the only way we found you. What are you going to do, Captain? I know you won't have an easy time taking off from that small clearing here. There are too many of us for your ship, and, well... Just what are you going to do? It's a tough problem, Barry. But it's got to be answered. Because a man's life depends on it. Well, in coming to the help of Major Steele and Bud Conley, Captain Midnight has again made a dangerous landing in a small jungle clearing. The lives of several people are now at stake. What can be done? Tune in to Captain Midnight. 
The Skelly Oil Company presents Captain Midnight. And now to Captain Midnight. The famous pilot, accompanied by Chuck Ramsey and Ma and Patsy Donovan, has found Major Barry Steele and Bud Conley in a deserted part of Mexico, several hundred miles below the American border. Conley, however, is dangerously ill with some kind of tropical fever. Major Steele himself is weak and thin from lack of food. It is now an hour after Captain Midnight made his landing. Patsy and Ma Donovan are caring for the rescued pilot, while Captain Midnight and Chuck are looking over the small clearing in which Captain Midnight landed the plane. Let's listen as Captain Midnight says. Tell you the truth, Chuck, I knew when I landed here that I couldn't take off again with the plane loaded as it was, even under the most favorable conditions. And now, since I've been on the ground, I know such a takeoff would be impossible. Gosh, then what are we going to do? You're going to make the takeoff, Chuck. After watching you take that plane out of the small square in front of the temple, I'm well sold in your ability. And don't forget this. There's 50 pounds difference in weight between us. You want me to take off with Conley? Well, I'm not so sure yet, Chuck. It depends on what Mrs. Donovan says about his condition. I may have you take off alone, go for help, and return. Or we may decide to take a chance in sending Conley with him. Is Conley's condition very serious? Yes, Chuck, I think it is. Mrs. Donovan hasn't said much. But what she hasn't said carries more weight than spoken words. Yeah, I've seen a lot of tropical fever, Chuck. It's bad. But Ma Donovan's doing all she can to check it, isn't she? Oh, of course she is, Chuck. But don't forget, we're not equipped like a hospital. All we've got is a few quinine tablets. Oh, gosh. The wind would only change. Yes, we'd better pray for that. Because I'm afraid Bud Conley's life depends on it. I've been looking at the field again, Captain Midnight. But there just isn't any other way to get off. No, Chuck. I've studied this clearing from every angle. A shift in the wind is our only chance. Of course, if I'm to take off alone, or even with Conley, we can do a few things to lighten the plane without dumping any gas. Mm, sure we can, Chuck. I'm taking that into my calculations. Now, I figure we'll take out the right front seat, the two rear seats, and clean out the baggage compartment. We could even take out part of the wall leading from the cabin to the baggage compartment and fix a place for Conley on the floor. Uh, sure, we can do all those things, and they'll help a lot, too. Oh, gee. What's the matter now, Chuck? Well, I was just thinking. We don't know how far away from civilization we are, and it certainly isn't likely we could get Conley out on foot. Or do you think we could? No, Chuck, no. I don't think there's a chance. We might start and find it would take a couple of weeks to get out. We haven't got enough provisions for a trip like that. And our very existence would depend on our ability to shoot game for food. And in the meantime, Conley would die. Yes, that's certain. Now, so our only hope lies in using our plane. And we're even prevented from doing that. Yes, I know. Well, come on, Chuck. Let's go back to camp and see how Major Steele and Conley are getting along. Okay, let's go. Well, I certainly hope he's going to be all right. Hello, Chuck. Well, how's everything, Patsy? How's Major Steele? Well, I can speak for myself now. Thanks to Patsy and Mrs. Donovan. That broth they gave me has made me feel like a new man. Well, I'm certainly glad to hear that, Barry. Yeah, you look a lot better, too. Yes, I, I feel I'm going to live now. But before you got here, I had my doubts. How's Bud Conley? You'll have to ask Patsy about that. She was in to see her mother a couple of minutes ago. What about her, Patsy? Well, I just helped Ma give him some more quinine, but I'm afraid he isn't any better. Did Mrs. Donovan take his temperature? Yes, it was 104 and a half. Mm. Good night. 104 and a half. Well, that's pretty high, isn't it? Yes, it's plenty high, Chuck. He can't stand that very long. Yes, I know he can't. We're going to get him out of here just as quickly as we can. But for the time being, our hands are tied. Well, that doesn't sound very good. 
What did you find out when you looked at the field? We found out this much. A takeoff can't be made until the wind shifts to the north. What direction is it blowing from now? I can't feel any breeze down here. No, we're protected under the trees. But the wind is coming from the south. And it's got to shift around to the north, you say? That's it. But, gee, Captain Midnight, the wind might not shift for days. Yes, I know. That's true, Patsy. And if it doesn't shift, it's going to put us in a bad situation. You mean us or Bud Conley? Well, primarily Bud Conley. But it may put us in a bad situation, too. We only have provisions enough for a few days. And so far, I haven't seen a bit of game. No, it's pretty scarce, and I can't understand it, because this is a wild country. Oh, by the way, uh, I was going to ask you, have you done any exploring, that is, before you became so weak? Uh, yes, both of us. Before Conley got sick, tramped around for miles, but we didn't find a sign of human life. We could only estimate our position roughly, and from the map, we were afraid we were some distance from any town. We considered starting out on foot, but finally decided it would be more dangerous than staying with the ship. I think you made a wise decision. If you had started a walk out and then Conley got sick, you'd have been sunk. Yeah, there isn't the slightest doubt about that. Gosh, Major Steele, you probably thought that when you didn't come back to us, that we'd start looking for you. No, Chuck. I had very little hope of that. The situation being what it was, when I left you, I was afraid your hands would be full. They were very. Only too full. As a matter of fact, I think we were lucky to get away as quickly as we did. Well, go ahead. Tell me about it. There isn't anything we can do for the time being. Mrs. Donovan is taking care of Conley. And you can't make a takeoff until the wind changes. So let us know what happened. Well, the thing you'll be most glad to hear is that Senor Pareda and his daughter Dolores are safe. Well, thank heaven for that. That's the good news we have, Major Steele. But we've got some bad news, too. <laughs> bad news? What could be bad news after that? Chuck's right, Barry. We do have some bad news for you. Now, you remember that you and Conley were trapped in that deserted cabin on the edge of that little mountain field where you landed? Hmm. I'll say I remember. That's one of the narrowest escapes I ever had. We couldn't get out of the shack because the place was surrounded by our men. And then, the dirty rat set fire to it. And if you hadn't found that hole in the floor leading to the old mine shaft, you wouldn't have had a chance. No, Chuck. Conley and I would have been just as dead as that old tree trunk that you were sitting on. But I still haven't told you the bad news. Who do you think those men were working for? The ones who had you trapped? I haven't got the faintest idea. Mexican bandits, I suppose. It was a lot worse than that, Major Steele. You tell him, Chuck. Okay, well, Major Steele, those men were working for Ivan Shark. Ivan Shark? Well, what do you know about that? Yes, it was Ivan Shark. He'd stolen Senor Paredes out the end and was trying to make away with both the Paredes treasure and the huge herd of cattle owned by the Paredes estate. Why, it seems almost incredible. But what's the bad news? Well, when things ended, Ivan Shark escaped. Escaped? Huh. Well, cheer up, Captain. After all, you're all alive and have your help. We'd better be thankful for that. And we are, too. But it would have been a lot better if we had captured Ivan Shark. We almost had him in our hands, too, Major Steele. The morning he escaped, Captain Midnight and I missed capturing him by about a minute. Well, a minute can be like 24 hours sometimes, Chuck. Some of the minutes I've been through lately have been like that. And another bad thing. Shark's chief lieutenant, his daughter Fury, an oriental named Fang, and a fellow named Gardo all escaped with him. Did he escape by plane? Yes, Barry. In that same plane, Shark was flying when he was going under the name of Douglas Chadwick. Yes, I remember. A bi-motored silver-wing monoplane. That's it. Same plane passed over this place the day before yesterday, about noon. Huh? I thought sure the pilot would see the torn wings of the Spartan on top of the trees. Loop and loops. What do you know about that? Wait a minute. Which direction was he flying? Almost straight north. The same course that you were flying. Oh, gee, Captain Midnight. Why, a Shark must have headed for the United States. Evidently. Because Conley and I were flying on the same course. 
We were headed for the nearest United States border. Well, of all the nerves. Oh, I wish I knew where he was headed. Well, there's no telling about that. Well, I wish I had known who was flying that ship. I'd have tried to broadcast a warning. Though I guess it wouldn't have done any good, because you're the only ones who heard my call for help. But you haven't told us what happened to you, Barry. Well, there isn't very much to tell. As I said, we were headed for the nearest point on the border. About a hundred miles after we left you that morning, the engine began to overheat. But it was very gradual, otherwise I'd have turned back. Yeah, I was afraid of that. The gas you had wasn't suitable for the Spartan's engine. But then what happened next? Well, as the engine got hotter, we started losing revs. And then, little by little, we started losing altitude. There was only one thing to do, keep on going. I thought there might be a chance to keep the plane in the air until we got across the border. But finally, even after we'd thrown out everything that we could, we were right over the treetops. At last, I saw we couldn't make it. I was trying to pancake into that clearing ahead when we mushed into the trees. That must have been a terrible moment. Uh, we thought we were finished, I can tell you that. But we had strapped ourselves in tightly and weren't going very fast. And when we started scraping in the treetops, I started pulling the nose up. Succeeded in killing some speed that way. Well, Barry, you and Conley are lucky to be alive. Come on, Chuck. Let's get back to the plane. We've got a job to do. Okay, Captain Midnight. What is it? I'm going to send a code message to the authorities to be on the lookout for Shark's plane. Then... We're going to start lightening the ship so we can be ready when the wind shifts. Look, there's Ma in the doorway of the Spartan. Well, Captain Midnight, can you come here? No, certainly, Mrs. Donovan. Wait a minute, Chuck. I'll be right back. Okay. Uh, what is it, Mrs. Donovan? Please come inside. I want you to look at Mr. Conley. Oh, yes, of course I will. I'm afraid Mr. Conley isn't any better. Yes. His face looks very flushed. Oh, I see you have a thermometer in his mouth. Yes. And I want you to look at his temperature. Here, here's the thermometer. Can you see? What is it now? Yes. Yes, I see. It's a hundred and five. Oh, Captain Midnight, we've got to do something for Mr. Conley. I've done all I could, and yet his temperature keeps going up. That can't go on much longer. If it does, you know what that means. Bud Conley is in a very critical condition, or Mrs. Donovan wouldn't have brought Captain Midnight into the cabin to tell him what she did. But what can Captain Midnight do? The only chance of helping Conley is to get him to a hospital at once by plane. But the plane cannot take off until the wind shifts, if then. What will happen? Tune in Monday to Captain Midnight. attention is obtained for Bud Conley, who is stricken with fever, Conley is liable to die. He, his chief, Major Barry Steele, and Captain Midnight's party are far from civilization in old Mexico. The clearing where Captain Midnight landed his plane is so small that a takeoff from it cannot be made except in one direction, 
and then after the wind shifts. It is now early afternoon, and Captain Midnight and Chuck Ramsey are standing near their plane on the edge of the field talking things over. Let's listen as Captain Midnight says. No, Chuck, no, there hasn't been any change in the wind at all. If anything, it's stronger. Oh, gosh. I was sure hoping that wind would shift. Now there doesn't seem to be any chance. I'm afraid not. Sky is clear. Certainly looks as if conditions are going to stay as they are indefinitely. From what Maud Donovan says, I guess Bud Conley must be pretty sick. She didn't say in so many words, but I don't think she believes there's a chance for him. We can't get him out of here right away. Gee, isn't there something we can do? Something we haven't thought of before? I don't know what it'd be, Chuck. Of course, we might have overlooked something. You radioed a code message about Ivan Chuck's plane, didn't you? Yes, Chuck, I did. And at the same time, I sent a message telling them about our situation here. And there's nothing more I could say. They could drop provisions for us. Sure. That wouldn't help Bud Conley. Well, they could drop medicine for him. Well, they could do that, too. That isn't getting him to a hospital, and that's what he needs. It wouldn't do any good for anyone to land here. They'd be in just as bad a fix as we are, unable to fly out again. Has Conley got a family? Yes. He's got a wife and four children. Oh, gosh, Captain Midnight, that's terrible. We just can't let him die. Well, listen, Chuck. I've thought of one thing, but, well, it might take too much time. What is it, Captain Midnight? Now, look down the field here. You will probably be the one who has to take off. Now, the plane will be turned around with its tail right between these trees. The takeoff will be straight ahead toward the north. You see that, don't you? But I see those tall trees in the way. Yes, you're right. And that's the plan I had in mind. Well, gee, Captain Midnight, what about those trees? Now, look. Take a careful look, Chuck. And just try to imagine what it would be like if some of those trees weren't there. Why, if it weren't for three or four of those high trees, well, there'd be a lot more room for a takeoff. Absolutely, Chuck. As a matter of fact, if just three of those trees were out of the way, it would make all the difference in the world. In fact, I think that you, weighing less than I, could take off at Bud Conley, even downwind, with those trees gone. I could do it. I'm sure I could. But how can we get rid of those three trees? Look how big they are. Yes, that's the whole trouble, Chuck. All we've got is a very small hatchet. It would take days to chop through those big trunks. And also, you wouldn't know which way they were going to fall. Well, I don't think that would make much difference. The wheels of the plane would be off the ground before you got that far. Those three trees were out of the way. We could get Conley out of here even if the wind doesn't change. But I'm afraid there's no way to get them down short of a tornado. Do you suppose there's anything else we could take out of the plane to make it lighter? Oh, no, no. We've done all we can. Anything else would weaken the structure. Yes, I guess you're right. But gosh, Captain Midnight, what are we going to do anyway? I mean, when we do get out. We can't stay here forever, even if we are too late to save Conley. Well, the first thing we've got to do, that is, after we get across the border from here, is to go back to Senor Paredes' Hacienda for Pinky Drake and Slim Pool. Then put Pablo in that flying school, and then we'll... Yes, but, but what about you? What's going to happen to you? I've still got that big job on my hands, Chuck. Ivan Shark? Yes. I don't know what the pursuit of Shark might lead to. It may take me around the world again before I'm through. But can't I come along? I've helped you before, at least a little bit. You've no idea how much you've helped me. And it isn't just the actual help you've given either. It's the, well, the company, the companionship that has meant more than anything else to me. I'm glad to hear you say that. After all, I'm just a kid. I know I make a lot of mistakes, and I'm not, well, the sort of a companion an older person would be. (laughs) I've come to rely on you so much that I wouldn't quite know what to do without you. You've been just like a father to me. To be truthful, you've been more than a father to me. What do you mean, Chuck? Well, you know, it's like this. I don't know whether you've ever noticed it or not, but lots of kids never have any fun with their fathers. They, well, they respect them too much. Oh, gosh, I'm getting sort of all mixed up. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, Chuck, no. You mean that lots of kids respect their fathers so much that they're afraid to have any fun with them? Well, that's it. That's it exactly. Mm-hmm. A kid looks up to his father so much that his father seems... Well, he seems too far away from him. Yes, I know only too well what you're talking about. Now, Chuck, I've seen hundreds of fathers and sons like that. And I've always said that if I had a son of my own, he certainly wouldn't be like that at all. You wouldn't be, and well, you haven't been with me. You, well, you take me into your confidence. You let me know what you're thinking about, what you're trying to do. And I guess, well, I guess that lots of fathers don't do that. No, Chuck, they don't. That's where they make a big mistake. They gradually grow apart, and they finally live in different worlds. The boy doesn't know anything about his father's problems, and the father doesn't know anything about his son's. Except when the boy does something wrong. And then he gets punished. Yes. And that tends to separate them farther than ever. Maybe, well, maybe if the father and son were closer together, the son wouldn't do things that he'd have to be punished for. <laughs> you know, Chuck, you're getting to be quite a philosopher. Well, anyway, I'm glad you and I aren't that way. You know what my problems are, and I know what yours are. Yes. That brings me back to what started this discussion. It may be that much as we both would dislike it, it would be better if I would work alone for a while. But why? Honestly, I don't see why. Well, now listen. You want to be a pilot, don't you, Chuck? Well, of course. I can fly some now. At least I can get a ship up and down. <laughs> don't say you can. Not a plenty tight spots, too. But merely being able to handle the controls of a ship it doesn't make a pilot. There, you're right. Merely being able to handle the controls of an airplane doesn't make a pilot. That's only a very small part of it. There are probably thousands of pilots who could take a big airliner up from the field, circle it, and then make a perfect landing. But do you suppose that same pilot could take that same airliner off, loaded with passengers, fly from one city to another 700 miles away through tough weather where he had to fly by instruments and radio and get his passengers there safely? There are probably less than one out of ten who could. Less than one out of ten? Percentage is much smaller than that. To be a perfectly competent airline pilot, it takes the ability to fly. That's elementary. Then, beyond that, it takes absolute presence of mind, quick thinking, and above all, the thing that's known as character. Character? I've heard that word a lot, and yet I don't think I know exactly what it means. Stability. The thing which can be relied upon. Reliability. I guess that's important in anything, not just airplane flying. You're right, Chuck. I rather think that reliability is the most important characteristic in the world. But to come back to what we were talking about, you spoke about a separation... And you asked me if I wanted to be a good pilot. Well, now, look here, Chuck. Going around with me, you learn a certain amount. That's true. But you don't learn as much, as thoroughly, as you would if you were going through the regular routine of a flying school. You mean you want me to go to a flying school? I think it would be an excellent thing for you. Oh, I'd see you often. During part of the year, your vacations, we could be together. And I'd test you out to see how much you've learned. Then when you get through, I'll put the finishing touches on you. Gee, and then what? <laughs> well, I don't know. I've got to stay in the flying business. I know that. There are plenty of opportunities for new airlines, Chuck. Yeah, I might start one. You could be one of my pilots. I'll give you an interest in the business, and then when you get good enough, you could be chief pilot. Gosh, wouldn't that be swell? <laughs> you bet. <laughs> uh, yes, Chuck, that sounds pretty good. But then I guess we'd better quit daydreaming and get back to business here. Oh, just one thing more. Yeah? Patsy Donovan can be one of our stewardesses. <laughs> good. That's a foregone conclusion. And we'll get Steve Donovan and make a pilot out of him, too. And, uh, well, now, let's see. Are there any other members in the family? Well, there's Pinky and Slim. What do we do with them? Oh, yes, Pinky and Slim. Say, I know. We'll have them ride back and forth on the line to amuse the passengers with their squabbles. Well, they sure <laughs> keep them amused all right. Oh, don't forget, there's Pablo. He's almost one of the family now. Oh, sure. Well, we might have a branch going down here into Mexico. He could fly on that division. Well, look. Hmm? Here comes our stewardess. <laughs> 
What in the world have you two been doing all this time? Well, to tell you the truth, Patsy, I think I've been doing a little daydreaming. Oh, so that's it. What about the wind? Is it just as strong as ever? Gosh, I'm afraid it is, Patsy. Yes, it is. Oh, uh, any change in Bud Connolly's condition? No, he's just about the same. Hmm. Well, I'm going back to talk to Major Steele. You better stay here, Chuck, and let me know if that wind changes. I'll stay, too, then, because Ma doesn't need me for a while. All right. You stay here with Chuck. I'll see you both after a while. Tell me the truth, Patsy. Is Mr. Conley worse? Yes, Chuck, I think he is. I can tell it by the way Ma acts. Gee, Patsy, this is terrible. Mr. Conley's going to die of that fever if we don't fly him out of here. Say, what are you looking at? Quick, Chuck. Look over there. What is it? What are you looking at? I don't see anything. The top of that ridge on the right, Chuck. See? Floating up in the air. Why? It looks like smoke. Smoke? Blazing beacons, Patsy. It is smoke. Maybe this will show us a way out. Maybe it will mean help. Come on. Let's investigate. Well, can Patsy and Chuck be right? Is it really smoke they see at the top of the nearby ridge? Major Steele said he had explored the region and had found no sign of human habitation. What will Chuck and Patsy discover when they climb to the top of the ridge? Tune in to Captain Midnight. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.